Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are. Um, we're going to pick up on the parable of the sower. Uh, we finished a little bit. Uh, we finished Mark 4 and went into a little bit of overview of Mark chapter 5. But we're going to go to Matthew 13, which is a, and we're going to spend some brief time in Matthew 13 looking at some important items that are in, in there that we, not necessarily in Mark 4. But now remember, <coughs> pardon me, the subject is the Word of God. Okay? Uh, the object is planting it and growing it. So we're talking about the Word. So if you look at, at um, Matthew 13, verse 24, uh, Jesus has already uh, explained the parable of the sower, uh, just as He did there. Quick overview. The sower sows the seed, the Word. Satan comes immediately to steal it. He's got five things. Affliction, persecution, deceitfulness of riches, pressure, lust, as it says in King James, and worries and anxiety. Those are the five weapons that he uses. And so Jesus has gone through that. There's four kinds of soil. There's rocky soil. There's soil by the path, along the path as it got sown. There's thorny soil, and there's good soil. Now let's don't forget that out of the four soils, all the planting that he did, out of those soils, there's only 25%, one out of four that got the word. So, if you're in church, there's a hundred people there, and the guy is preaching the Word, maybe 25, unless you're an exceptional church, you can probably say 25 people are actually getting what's said. Now, some of them will hear it, they like it, but only 25 take it and bear fruit with it. So, we're going to move on from that point here in Matthew 13. And he tells another parable. <clears throat> he talks about the parable of the weeds. Now, I'm going to read this real quick. He told him another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the shoots had sprung up and produced fruit, the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the landowner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? And where did the weeds come from? And he said to them, An enemy did this. The servant said to him, Will you then have us go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the weeds, you pull up also the wheat with them. Uh, let both grow together until the harvest, and then at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather up the weeds first and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, he explains that in just a little bit. We're going to talk briefly about that. But let's go back to this. If you'll notice, this is the part where it says, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed the weeds. This is the opposite of the sowing among the thorns because the people were listening and there were already thorns growing. This is good seed growing and the thorns are planted within the seed. So, kind of a, uh, of, a, of a way to look at it, uh, the guy that has thorns and is hearing the Word was probably someone that had never been born again. He's grown up, he's got thorns in his life. And this other guy is hearing it, 
hasn't had very many thorns in his life. And so he hears the Word and it's planted in his heart and the enemy comes and sows weeds into his heart. Now, um, it's also critical to look at this and know that Satan copies God's methods. This is Satan is planting these weeds, but it's the way God plants is through words. The sower sows the Word. Satan gets weeds in your life through what? Words. And you hear things like, oh, you're no good. You can't learn. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're fat. You're thin. You're no good. You're too short. You're too tall. Blah, 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 blah. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're a moron. Those are the words that Satan uses to plant thorns. And they stick. Don't think they don't. They stick. Now, it's interesting, if you go back to this, it says the enemy did this. The landowner recognized it immediately, but the other people didn't know it until the landowner came along and said, ah, they saw the weeds, this is where they come from. They didn't recognize it. Okay, But he says, let them both grow together until the harvest. Now, when Jesus explains this, he explains it in the term that this is the angels of the end times and that they're going to take uh, Satan's people and throw them out and they're going to keep the, the, the believers. They're going to keep them. That's what this is about. But there's a parallel way to look at this because um, Satan plants seeds in your life and you got problems in your life and you begin to work them out. You begin to go to counseling. You begin to read the Scriptures. The, the Lord gives you rhema knowledge of what it is that He's talking about. Now, rhema is revealed knowledge. It's not just the Logos, which is the printed Word. We're talking rhema, which is God's revealed Word to you. As you grow and you begin to understand how God does things, there are hidden seeds that will come up in your life. Some of them, I, I know I, I uh, teach at an alcohol rehab uh, center. And... Uh, Guys, the, man, I've seen the Lord raise people up. I've seen people, I've just seen God do miracles in people's lives. But there's a lot of people that God does a miracle in their lives that can't ever get rid of alcohol. I know we had a teacher at one of the locations we was at that went through rehab seven times. And the eighth time he got it. And he became a teacher. But at 38 years old he died of a heart attack because of all the damage that had happened to his body. But he did get it. But we've had other people that have been born again. They're following God, but they can't get rid of alcohol. And they die in an alcoholic rage or stupor or something. So, the other way to look at this is that Jesus says, I know that there's weeds in your life. And we're going to deal with them. And some of them are tough to get rid of. Maybe the older you get, you think there's weeds that, you know, I ought to get rid of that. And you try to get rid of it, but you can't. That's the main thing to remember. Is you can't get rid of your weeds. It has to be the Lord. Now, as the Lord comes up here, I want you to keep in mind, and I'm, and I'm going to turn to it real quick. It just came to me as kind of a confirmation here. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can rest assured, whatever weeds you're fighting, if you just keep following the Lord, he'll deal with them. That's the point. Now, having said that, let's go on to... By the way, I'm reading from the modern English version of the Bible. Um, so it may read a little different than yours, but just wanted you to know where I'm coming from. Okay, let's go down to Matthew 
And he's talking about the parables of the seed and yeast. Now, let me read this to you real quick. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which when a man took and sowed in his, seed, in his field, this indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it's the greatest among herbs and is a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. And he told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and mixed in 60 pounds of meal and had leavened the whole batch until it leavened the whole batch. Now, at this point, he, he also goes on and explains parables. He said, I give the, uh, the crowd in parables, but he didn't speak to them with anything but a parable. And he tells the guys that I'm giving parables, I'll explain them to you. So that's some of what he said earlier in Mark. But go back to this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed uh, that grows into a tree. A mustard tree, uh, a mustard seed is a very small seed. It's not the smallest seed we, that, that I know of. The smallest one I know of is bent grass. It's what they make putting greens out of. Now, there may be smaller seeds than that, but I don't know them. So uh, that's not the size of the seed. It's if you get it planted, you got it. You have within the seed the power to do what the seed's supposed to do. You're not going to plant bent grass and get fescue. You're not going to plant oranges and get apples. It just doesn't work that way. So uh, the, what he's telling you is it doesn't matter how small your faith is. It's not the size of the faith. But if you plant your faith and the process let it grow, and then he goes down and says it'll be like yeast. Just a little bit of faith gets in there and you hold on to it, it grows. And it becomes larger, and it, it, it will overtake you. And, and so the thing that you're concerned about, alcohol, rehab, in my in the case of the guys I'm talking to, or just daily life, the things that you're, that you're concerned about, your marriage, getting along with your wife, and so forth, uh, those things will be like yeast, and they'll grow. It takes, takes time, but it'll, a little bit of it will grow the whole week. And he, he uh, later on in Mark, Chapter eight, and we'll see that in a couple uh, a couple chapters from now. He warns the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and the and the Herod. Those can be translated as religious yeast and political yeast. Boy, those things are ex examples of today's time in the United States. But we'll deal with those in a couple chapters when we get to Mark. So yeast is important. We want to remember that. Um, now, verse 44, Matthew 13, 44, he talks about the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And with joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, what are the implications of this? Does God want you to go sell everything you own? No, not necessarily. Uh, could be something where maybe your bass boat, maybe your new car, you know, maybe you bought an eight-room house instead of a six-room house. I, I don't know. I'm just saying uh, you got a lot of things going on in this world. And... What he's talking about here, this guy is in search of treasure. Now, he sells all he has to get what he knows is the right thing. All this indicates to me is that 
when he hears the word, and when, when Jesus does that magical thing that he does in your heart, and he and you realize that the Holy Spirit's moving on your behalf, and you realize Jesus is doing these things, in the process of doing that, you see what's really valuable, and you set aside everything else to get to that which is most valuable. Uh, you find out about healing. You find out about peace. You find out about the things that Jesus said we could do, love our neighbor as ourselves and so forth. So both of these parables are about people that understood that and they, they set aside everything else to go get it. That's what, this is, that's what he's talking about here. Now, real quick, let's go back to Mark chapter 5. Now, important, we touched base on this a little bit the last time uh, that we talked, but Mark chapter 5, and let's go down to verse 21. Uh, the first part of Mark 5 talks about the Gadarene demoniac, the madman of Gadara, some people call him, the, the guy that was in the tombs uh, naked and, and tearing up chains and just causing all kinds of problems. had 6,000 demons in him. Jesus saw him. 6,000 demons couldn't stop him from getting to Jesus. The guy got full of God, born again. And when he did, as soon as that happened, uh, his life changed. And the people around him didn't understand that, and they told Jesus, we don't want you here. And so they left. There's 2,000 pigs uh, took the deep six off of a cliff, and that just didn't make anybody happy, so they asked Jesus to leave, and he did. Now, he's coming back. If you remember, he went over to the Gadarenes through a storm because he said he said in his... In his um, in Mark chapter 4, let us go over to the other side. So he was headed from where he was over to the Gadarenes. And a huge storm comes. He stops the storm. So Satan's doing everything he can to keep Jesus out of there. He gets over there, stops this thing with the demon. Now he crosses back over. And when he gets over there, now let's go down to verse 21. This is also in Matthew uh, 9 and Luke uh, 8.40. When Jesus crossed again to the other side, many people gathered to him. Well, of course they would, because he's doing all these things. And um, this is kind of a barometer that I'm asking. Uh, do you see people being drawn to churches like this? We see down here uh, in uh, verse 24, many people followed him and pressed in on him. Do we see this happening in churches? We may see a lot of people coming to churches. I was in one church, um, and... I went in and it was the most incredible building I've ever been in. It had escalators, it had coffee shops, bookstores, everything else. So I get inside Sunday morning, uh, 9 o'clock, and there's 18, 19 people in there. There's two huge screens. One screen had a guy playing a guitar, the other screen had the pastor. So I asked the guy when I left, I said, what, what kind of church is this? Where, where, what? He said, oh, this is, a, this is the campus. A campus? Where's the main church? It was like eight miles down the road. How much did the campus cost? Not $29 million. Okay. And there were 18 people in there, and there was no word spoken about anything. So one of the things that we're looking at, and that's religious, you might say that's religious leaven coming out. So people will may flock to big churches like that because of music, because of the grit and the, you know, Modern stuff, it's the communications, the, the electronics. 
But here they're coming to Jesus because they hear what he's doing. And I just ask you, do we have, can we find a church where only things that are happening are, are, is what God's doing and people are flocking there because they want to hear that? Mike's, I just don't see it that much. Maybe it is. It doesn't mean that I, it's not going on. It just means I don't see it. I don't get out a lot anymore. But maybe there's something going on that I don't know about. And all I'm saying to you is, this is a key that we need to look as we go through here. If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to get to places where people are doing the things Jesus did. I, I'm just sitting here, in my, and as soon as I said that, Heidi Baker comes to mind in Mozambique. Uh, I didn't know much about her, and, and uh, not very many people did, but I guess she went to the Toronto in 1994. God laid her out for seven days, said, Do you want Mozambique? She said, Yes, so sends her to the poorest country on earth. She gets over there. Man, the things that are happening over there are amazing. And people flock from all over to get there. Why does it happen in Mozambique and not happen here? That's my question. Well, let's pursue it and see if we can come up with an answer. Um, so now this guy, Jesus is coming across. Many people get to him. Listen, in verse uh, 21, he says, and he was beside the sea in 22. One of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus saw Jesus and came and fell at his feet. Now, I don't know how big the town was. Maybe there was hundreds of people there. Uh, they were at the synagogue. Maybe there was a couple thousand. I don't know. I don't, I don't think we have a, uh, a good handle on the uh, population then. But let's just say there was hundreds and maybe a thousand or two people there. So this guy's the head of the synagogue. He's a Pharisee. <coughs> He's the Pharisee of Pharisees locally. Okay, He comes out and gets on his knees, is in a position of worship to Jesus, and tells him, now listen to what he speaks. Listen to what he speaks. My little daughter is lying at the point of death, and I ask you, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and she will live. Okay? And she will live. So Jesus went with him. You go back to Mark 5.17, you'll find out when the people asked him to leave, he did. Now the people are asking him to go someplace and he's going. Now all these people are gathered around and you can bet they're pressed in close. And so it says, many people followed him and a certain woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She'd suffered much under many physicians. She'd spent all she had. She's not better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard of Jesus, she came in the crowd behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his garments, I shall be healed. And immediately the hemorrhage dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus knew within himself that power had gone out from himself. Now, other places, I like the, I like the, the overall rendering. I heard it said the power that was emanating from him had a demand made on it. Okay? So the power, and we see this other places, the power of Jesus was present for healing. People didn't get healed. Other places they did, some places they didn't. But the power was always there. And in this case, uh, an alternative way to read this is um, that the power emanating from him had gone forth. Now, 
He turned around and the crowd said, Who touched my garments? But his disciples said, See, the crowd's pressing in. Who touched me? They don't know what's going on. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and said, told him the entire truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, real quick here, there's a couple points that you need to make, and we'll come back to this later. Uh, Jairus earlier had made a statement of faith. He said, he said, here's the problem. My little daughter's dying. If you'll come lay hands on her, she'll live. She'll not die, she'll live. So Jesus is speaking, or Jairus, I mean, is speaking faith. He's saying, this is what I believe is going to happen. Okay, now, the little woman in verse 28 said, for she said, now, that same word can be translated thought. Some translations have it thought. Some have it say say. Uh, it's the same word and it's translated different ways throughout, but it means the same thing. Said For she said, she spoke with her mouth, if I may touch his garments, I shall be healed. It's a, it's a, it's a speaking of faith. It's a speaking of faith. That's the same thing that uh, Jairus did. And if you hold your fingers there and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13, you'll see what Paul said. We have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. So we also believe and therefore we speak. Okay? What you believe comes out your mouth. It just does. Whether you want it to or not, It'll come out of your mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, so this woman had faith for healing, and so did Jairus. Now, try to imagine Jairus. He's standing there. Don't you think he's looking at his watch and going, "Oh my gosh, what's you know, what do we do now?" And then all of a sudden, in verse 35, I like this term: the death messenger shows up. The death messenger. This is the worst news you could possibly get. While he was still speaking, some came from the house of the synagogue ruler and said, Your little daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now get this. It's a battle of words. Jairus says, If you lay hands on my daughter, she'll live. And Jesus went with him. Not there yet, but he's, he's on his way. And the death messenger shows up and says, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. Now, at this point, Jairus has a decision to make. Because right after he said that, right after the death messenger speaks, in the Amplified Version, let me tell you what... Uh, let me find it here. Did I write it down? I did write it down, but I can't find it. It's in the Amplified Version, and it says this, well, I, I've read it enough. I can probably remember what it says. What it says is, Jesus spun, ignoring what was said, and said, don't be seized with alarm or struck by fear. Just keep on believing. Ignoring what was said. He didn't let what the, the death messenger said bother him. He said, don't be struck with alarm and see, or seized by fear and struck with alarm. Don't do that. 
So fear is one of the enemy's great weapons. Now, at this point, Jesus turns around and he says, here it is over here. That's why I'm on the wrong page. Here it is. <laughs> I just found it. I'll read it correctly. Overhearing but ignoring what they said, do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear, only keep on believing. That's pretty close. Now, at this point, he allows John, James, and Peter to go in with him. Now, does that, see, does that number, there's only three there. How many disciples does he have? He's got 12. What percentage is that of 12? It's 25%. Go back to Mark 4, we had four kinds of soil. How many of them actually got what was said? 25%. You've got a good case here for out of Jesus' 12 disciples, nine of them didn't know what was going on. These three guys, though, understood a little bit about what was going on. And Jesus took them with him. Now, when he gets in there, he throws everybody else out, and they come up to him, and he says, well... Don't worry about this. She's not dead. She's just asleep. And it says everybody laughed at him because they knew she was dead. See? Faith is, is slamming into to secular knowledge, worldly knowledge, worldly system. She's dead. They knew she was dead. Leave the teacher alone just laughing at him because you're silly. These are, this is silly things to say. Jesus' response was to get rid of everybody that didn't believe and says he, he took John and James in with him. And guess who else went in? Jairus and his wife. Mom and dad went in. Well, you can bet they're believing. So he's got five people in there. And he says, when he put them all out, he took the father and mother and the girl and those who were with him and entered where the girl was laying. He took the girl by the hand and said, Talithi Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked out, for she was 12 years of age. And they were greatly astonished. He strictly ordered them to let no one know of it and directed them to give her something to eat, which is common after people get raised from the dead. I've not been raised from the dead, but sometimes I eat like I have. But anyway, um, so what are you, what's the point here? What was... What, what did Jairus say after the death messenger showed up? Well, he didn't say anything. Jairus, the only, thing, only words we ever hear him saying is, My little daughter's lying at the point of death. I ask you, come lay hands on her so, so she may be healed and she will live. That's the only words he spoke. He never said another word. <clears throat> he listened to what Jesus said. Don't be struck by the alarm and fear. And he, he walked through that. And... We got a great miracle out of it. Now, um, Jesus went with Jairus. And so, as you look at these stories, you see people control Jesus' agenda. You go to Mark, uh, you don't have to turn there, but John 5, 19 and 30, Jesus basically says, I don't, do what any, I don't do anything but what the Father tells me to do, and I don't speak anything but what the Father tells me to speak. So clearly, when Jesus went with these people... It was the Father was telling him to do it. When he left in, in, Matt, in Mark 5.17, when the people told him to leave, the Father said, go ahead and leave. They're not going to pay any attention to you. And we'll see that again here in just a minute in, in, uh, the next time we, we talk in uh, Mark chapter 6. So, 
the bottom line here, um, people have spoken their faith, and we're going to learn about that as we go through here. You have to speak what you believe. Don't be afraid to do it because when you speak what you believe, what happened to Jesus? What happened to these people? They laughed at him. He took a terrible beating because he said what God told him to say. We're facing that now in the United States. We've got all kinds of opportunities to speak our faith and trust God to do it. We're just And I think we're going to have to learn how to do that much better than what we have. I don't want to be a part of the 75% that hear all of this and don't do anything about it. I want to be part of the 25% that hears it, speaks it, and goes and does it. So, um, that'll cover the parable of the sower per se. It'll cover Mark chapter 5. Next time we get in, we'll go into to, uh, Mark chapter 6. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that the Word has gone forth and it, and it helps other people as it has helped me over the years. We thank You for that. We trust You and bless You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. Praise is to me To ask